Well, good morning. Uh, thank you, Dan. Um, Tammy's on vacation, like a lot of other people, evidently. Um, but we're glad that you're here. We're going to start a new series. It's going to just be two weeks. Uh, next weekend's a big Fourth uh, of July weekend, obviously, and we'll finish up talking about God and country. Today's topic is in search of a conscience. Now, I don't know how many... I'm not really too political. I don't spend hours watching... Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you watch the debates. Uh, I didn't watch any of the debates. I don't watch talk shows on TV or listen to talk shows on the radio. Some of you do. That's great if you enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, if you do, you uh, probably talk back, maybe even scream back <laughs> at the TV or the radio. Um, you have plenty of opinions, I'm sure. You might not have answers, but you have opinions, right? Uh, the answer is a little more difficult. <clears throat> In fact, I'm going to do a little exercise here this morning. If you were going this afternoon to D.C. and we are going to stand in front of the White House or the Congress and you were going to hold up a sign, what would you put on your sign? What would you want them to know? What opinion would you like to share? So if, when you get one, I want you to share it with somebody else. And then if somebody hears a good one, I want you to share it with the group, Okay. You're standing with your sign. What do you want the president to hear? What do you want the Congress to know? All right, you ready? All right, share it with somebody. I don't know, maybe it's just because of Dave Ramsey. Mine would be something about get out of debt. Is it absurd how much debt? I saw a statistic a week ago. The trillions of dollars of debt, 45% of our taxes go to pay the interest on the debt. Did you know that? That's mind-boggling. But uh, that's just my two cents worth, all right? So we all have opinions. We don't always have a lot of answers. <clears throat> so debates. There's all kinds of issues being debated, whether it's Democrat, Republican, you know, conservative, liberal, uh, <clears throat> the social, uh, socialism versus capitalism, all kinds of debates. Some of these issues, though, intersect or collide with the Bible or with Scripture. <clears throat> so for this week and next week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to take off my teacher's hat. Usually I'm up here with my teacher's hat on, pastor's hat. I'm going to put on, uh, it's kind of a scary word, my prophet's hat. Um, kind of evaluate what I see going on and uh, unfortunately where I see things going. And uh, of course, again, where God and the Bible intersect with that. <clears throat> In search of a conscience, our nation has a conscience, and that's uh, the topic of uh, this series, uh, because like all conscience, they change, and ours has been changing uh, for the worst. Well, it, well, what is a conscience? What is a conscience? Well, a conscience is that internal part of us that informs our oughts and oughts nots, our rights and wrongs, right? Um, kind of this little voice in our head. <clears throat> in the cartoons, you have the little angel on one shoulder and, de and the devil on the other shoulder. Uh, this conscience that tells us this is okay or this is not okay. That you should do this, you shouldn't do, do that. <clears throat> now, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, we're, we're, we're delighted that you're here. But if you're Jesus follower, we believe the Holy Spirit becomes our conscience or part of our conscience. Now, you can ignore your conscience. We all have done that. 
right? We've all ignored our conscience. And what happens is if you do that long enough, it's what's happening to my hands. I'm helping my son build his house. And I'm doing a lot more manual labor, construction work than I'm used to doing. So now I have these calluses, especially on the sides of my thumb, this, this dead, tough skin so that, you know, I don't feel anything there. There's no feeling because of that callus. And some of you do that kind of work all the time, and you might have uh, calluses all the time. We can do that to our conscience. We can ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. Eventually, it doesn't bother us anymore. The oughts that we aren't doing and the ought-nots that we are doing just don't bother us anymore. But (laughs) when you violate your conscience, it should make you feel guilty. So when I don't do what I should do, I should feel bad about that. I should feel guilty. And when I do things I shouldn't do, I should feel bad about I should feel guilty. Now, ideally, the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit, convicts us of that. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's wrong. You need to change that. You need to do something different. And uh, ideally, we confess that. And God forgives us, and we, we move on, hopefully improve that. Now, we get our consciences from lots of different places. When you're first born, your parents become your conscience, right? Parents said, ah, you shouldn't do that. Yes, you should do that. You should brush your teeth before you go to bed. Your parents become your conscience. And if you don't brush your teeth, they let you know about it, or eventually you should feel guilty. Oh, I should have brushed my teeth. Make your bed, clean your room, do your homework. You know, don't play in the street. Um, All those things. As we get older, there's other parts of our conscience, right? So initially, our parents become our conscience. Uh, If you get married... Uh, your spouse helps be your conscience. And sometimes in a bad way, sometimes in a good way. Uh, They can nag you about some things or whatever. But my wife's great. She's great at seeing things in me that I don't see. And that's one of the benefits of marriage, right? And she can say, hey, you know, you were, you know, weren't polite to that person, ignored that person, you you should have paid them more attention, whatever. It might be lots of different things. Or, you know, sometimes I may be sitting around and say, oh, shouldn't you be calling somebody and she'll remind me or be my conscience? So that's really big help to have uh, a loving spouse be your conscience. It's a little more uncomfortable when your kids are your conscience, isn't it? You're driving down the road and they're old enough to realize, Dad, uh, should you be driving that sp- the speed limits? Whatever it might be, right? Or uh, why don't you stop and help that person? Or... Uh, it could be lots of different things. Our kids can be our conscience. <clears throat> now, families have consciences. It's hard to say that pluralized. Families have a conscience. Um, you just have certain values, certain beliefs, things you do. Now, see, the family I grew up in, we raised our voice when we talked. Uh, the vo- fam- my wife calls it yelling. But anyway, the family my wife grew up in, and my mother-in-law was sitting down here in the first service, so I could ask her. They didn't raise their boys. In fact, my wife never saw her parents argue. Our kids have seen your parents argue lots of times, sometimes with raised voices, sometimes without. And that's the interesting thing about marriage is because you, one uh, part of the couple brings their family's conscience to the marriage, and the other family brings their family's conscience to the marriage. And so you have to figure out the family conscience from there. Another thing in our family is we didn't do yard work on Sunday. 
We consider that work, and you shouldn't work on Sundays, even though I work every Sunday, but uh, we just didn't do that. Okay? So we, and these things aren't written down. We didn't have a written rule, no yard work on Sunday. We just, that was one of the rules in our house, part of our conscience. And uh, when we see somebody doing yard work, and I always say, well, they must be Seventh-day Adventists. <laughs> they went to church yesterday. They're doing yard work on Sunday. <clears throat> but that's our conscience. And these things aren't written down. And it's interesting. Our kids are grown, and they have their own families, and their conscience are different. And again, they're blending with their spouses. And some of my kids may do yard work on Sunday. I don't know. Another thing is we didn't have any alcohol in our home growing up. That was just part of our our deal. We didn't have alcohol. All of my kids have alcohol in their house. All right? So they've got a different conscience. And it's easy to say, hey, yours is wrong. You know, you shouldn't be cutting grass on Sunday, right? Um, One way you can discover this is if you visit somebody else's house. And you may see things in her house and say, I don't know about it. Especially come to the pastor's house. I don't think pastors should do that. So pastors should say that. You know, pastors should watch that on TV or, or whatever. All our f- families have different conscience. And they're shared. And they're not written down. But in a relationship of shared conscience, though, you don't have to have lots of rules or laws or even written things down. You just have this kind of oughts and oughts not, Right? You just have lived that way. You've figured it out. You don't have to really talk about it. You don't even have to think about it, right? Um, <clears throat> so in marriage, you have to, have, to, have, to, have to figure that out. And you don't have, again, a lot of these things are not rules. You just kind of know what to do and know what not to do. Uh, in the workplace, the same thing. Uh, I don't know where you work, but you, there's just basic oughts and ought nots, and it's not written down. You might have a, a manual or something at work, especially if you work in a bigger company, especially if you work with the government. It probably has lots of them. I don't know. I never worked for the government. Uh, but you just know certain things are oughts and certain things are ought not. You shouldn't take the pens or the paper clips home with you, for example, uh, for your kids uh, to do at school. Now, the, word, the reverse is also true. When you don't have a shared conscience, you have to have lots of rules so everybody knows the oughts and oughts nots, right? It only makes sense. Well, speaking nationally, that is why we have such complicated legal system, right? Because you've got to have rules or laws to govern all these little details, and that's why we're the most litigious and have the most lawyers of any country in the world, which is kind of mind-boggling and kind of disturbing, but it's true. And one way we know that is we all know or think we know of cases where somebody was guilty and got off, right? So our conscience told us they were guilty, but the legal system, for whatever reason, maybe a smart lawyer whatever, proclaimed them innocent. So that's part of the problem with conscience, especially a national conscience. So a nas- nation share uh, a collective conscience as well. Give you an illustration. If you're a- an American, you probably grew up thinking that litter was bad. Your parents probably taught you not to throw trash out the car window. 
In fact, if you're driving down the road and you saw somebody else throwing trash out of their window, you said, bad American, right? Bad Americans don't do that. And I run on the Appalachian Trail, and it's very clean. Occasionally, I'll find something. My thought process is that somebody accidentally dropped this because nobody would drop litter on the Appalachian Trail. You just, good Americans don't do that. That's part of our national conscience. <clears throat> now, I've lived in another country, and maybe some of you at least visited another country. They don't have that same national conscience. In fact, they're taught, in fact, in Portugal, it's kind of weird. I think it was 19, I'm trying to remember the date, 70-something, they had their revolution. <laughs> and it's in April that they celebrate Independence Day. And uh, part of that was because they lived under this strict regime for like 40 years where everything was clean, part of their declaring their freedom was to throw trash. And now we're free. We can do what we want. We throw trash on the street or out the car windows. So lots of countries don't have that as part of their national conscience. We do. And you don't even have to think about it, do you? When you're driving along, do you have to say, oh, I better not throw this out the window? You don't. It's just not part of your uh, national conscience. And of course, we can look at lots of historical events that talk about our national conscience. We can go back to uh, the 1800s. And uh, our nation fought a war over, among other things, slavery. So there was part of our nation, mostly the southern part of our nation, that said slavery is perfectly fine. It, it, was, it was an ought. We can do this. It doesn't bother us. We don't feel guilty about this. It's not a problem. And then another part of our nation thought, this is horrible. You know, these people are, you know, equal as we're going to look at in a second here. To us, we shouldn't, they should have the same freedoms that we have. And so we fought this war and hundreds of thousands of people died uh, because of a conflict of national conscience. Uh, just in our, some of our lifetime, we had the civil rights movement, uh, kind of an extension of that. And so there's places in our country that certain people couldn't do things that white people could do. And they you know, had to sit on the back of the bus and use different restrooms and so forth. And that began to bother some of us in our nation. And so our national conscience had to be, figure that out. And eventually we have all, this, all these rules and laws to make it okay for everybody, to, independent of color or skin, to have the same rights. Uh, kind of an unfortunate one, uh, definitely unfortunate one, it was you know, when I was born, abortion was illegal. It was wrong. Our conscience said, you know, a woman shouldn't do that. Uh, in the 1970s, a law was passed. It was okay. And our, con our national conscience is still struggling with this issue, right? I don't know. This latest statistic is probably pretty close to 50-50. bothers half the people, and it doesn't bother half the other people. Um, it's illegal to have three wives in our country. Uh, it doesn't have to be illegal for you women to have three husbands because none of you women want to have three husbands, would you? I don't know why anybody would not have three wives either, but uh, uh, just different rules. Prohibition in the 20s. Our national conscience decided it was alcohol should be illegal. And I forget how long, 10 years or so later, the national conscience decided it should be legal. Now we're dealing with drugs, especially marijuana. All my lifetime it was illegal, and now it's all of a sudden it's legal in certain places, isn't it? 
Uh, we have child labor laws. Other countries don't have those. You know, children work, work in factories and so forth. But in our country, children aren't allowed. We don't think it's right. Uh, women's rights. Uh, women have, this, have equal rights and be able to do the same thing, whether in sports or in the, in the workplace and so forth. So, our nation shares a collective conscience. Now, a conscience has to be informed. You have to teach your child it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lie, etc., etc., right? Um, otherwise, we don't know. And nations have rules or laws to inform us, you know, littering's wrong, we're going to fine you, whatever. So part of our conscience is informed or learned. Somebody taught it to us. That's where we got it. But there is a part of our conscience, I believe, and the Bible teaches, that you're born with. And so we're going to look at something Paul wrote in Romans where he, he talks about an, uh, our conscience. So he starts off in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, saying, for God does not show favoritism. All right? So God looks at everybody, sees everybody the same. He, he doesn't care about your opinion and mine <laughs> when we think about certain people or, or, or certain things. Uh, God doesn't show favoritism. And it's easy for, kind of easy for parents to understand. We don't show favoritism toward our kids. Um, even though one of our kids might think we favored one of the others. <laughs> uh, we try really hard not to do that, and, and we really don't feel that way. <clears throat> So we can understand how God would feel that way about all his children. For God so loved the world, that means all the people in the world. He loved them all. So he shows no favoritism, but he has certain rules. Now, when you're looking at the Bible, there's basically two categories of people. They're Jews, God's people, and Gentiles that weren't Jews. And today we normally think of the two groups of people being Jesus followers and those that aren't. But so Paul's going to talk about Gentiles and Jews. So when the Gentiles sin, they don't, have, they don't know about God. They don't have the Bible. They don't have, know about the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. When they sin, they still sin. They still break God's law. They just don't have the law. They will be destroyed or there's going to become a time when they're to be separated from God, even though they never had God's written law. Okay? So even if you didn't, they didn't have it, they're still responsible for it. Okay? Well, the Jews, they have the advantage of having God's law. They know the oughts and ought-nots. They know the rights and wrongs. They will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. So they, they know, and if they don't do it, then they certainly will be judged for not doing what they know they should do or ought to do. So he goes on. For merely listening to the law or hearing the law or even knowing the law doesn't make you right with God. So I, I've got them Ten Commandments memorized. Okay. That doesn't make you right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. That means trusting God, trusting what He says, so I'm going to do what He says. You know, we would call it faith or trust, but consequently you obey. That's one way you ex demonstrate or exhibit trust. <clears throat> now, it's interesting Almost every culture, I can't say every culture because I don't know every culture, almost every culture of the world, it's wrong to murder somebody. It's wrong to take somebody else's life, isn't it? And some of these countries, some of these cultures don't have 
the Bible. They don't have those rules. They don't have those laws. They still believe that killing is wrong or murder is wrong. There's some certain other, other things um, that almost every culture believes is wrong. Um, abuse, you know, uh, not taking care of children, certain other things. There's just some certain things that we know are right and certain things we know are wrong. Now, even though we know certain things are right and wrong, we still do wrongs, don't we? We live in a fallen, sinful world. In fact, you don't even live up to your own standards, do you? You disappoint yourself more than anybody else does. You have your standards and we don't do them. That's a whole topic for a whole nother, another week. So instinctively, <clears throat> even the Gentiles, wait a minute, back up. I haven't read that verse, I don't think. So even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. So there's something inside us that know that there are certain things that are right and wrong. God is still a part, and we're going to look at that creation, even without hear, hearing the law. So moving on. So they demonstrated that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience. Conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. So that's the plus side of our conscience, right? Yeah, yeah, you did the right thing. Congratulations. Good job, all right? Uh, other times, ah, you shouldn't have done that, or you should have done that, and you didn't, our conscience. We believe, if you're Jesus follower, that God instilled that in us. And again, if you're Jesus follower, you have the Holy Spirit uh, as part of your conscience. And then he finishes up this way, and this is the message I proclaim, that day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. So everyone's going to be judged, whether you had the law or not, and that's why we believe so strongly in missions, it's a... Our responsibility to make sure everybody has God's law and understands that and understands how much God loves them. So, whether it's individual, family, or national conscience, part of it is taught or learned, and part of it is God-given or part of nature. So, here's the question I want to tackle. How was our national conscience informed or formed or shaped or taught? For example, we don't stone people in our country, right? So that means the Old Testament is not part of, isn't the basis of our conscience. How many of you eat pork? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, we know that the Old Testament then didn't establish our conscience. <clears throat> but our conscience, national conscience, I believe, was shaped by a sense of personal accountability that's an important word, accountability to God, the creator. And I know this is a little uncomfortable and uh, probably not as uncomfortable for some people in here as it would be the general population. But I believe this, and we can kind of look at history to under, understand how this happened. Um, so back to the Declaration of Independence, for example. It says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, what does self-evident mean? They're obvious. There's no debate. We don't even need to talk about it. It's a duh. It's just right. It's just true. So, the founders of our nation, and they weren't all quote-unquote believers, agreed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, what's self-evident? That all men are created equal. All people are created equal. 
and that they are endowed by their creator. So if you're created, you have to be have a creator with certain unalienable rights. All right, so this creator gave us rights. That was the source of the rights. And among these were life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So that's one reason murder is wrong. Because I have the right to life and you have the right to life. You shouldn't murder me, I shouldn't murder you. Liberty or freedom, so you get to do what you want to do and I get to do what I want to do within certain boundaries. And we all get to pursue, through our choices, happiness. So, oughts and ought nots. What was the basis of the oughts and ought nots? According to our nation's founders, it was this creator God that gave us these rights. But consequently, since the creator God gave us these rights, we are accountable to who? The creator God that gave us the rights. All right? Follow the logic here. It's not too complicated. All right. So that was, you know, 1776. And we fast forward about 90 years. We had this war I talked about. And uh, not far from here, there was this horrible battle with tens of thousands of people died. And uh, the president, Abraham Lincoln, by the way, my favorite president of all time. But anyway, um, somebody just gave me a film about his life. I have to watch. But um, he made this speech, pretty famous speech, and it was really short. And uh, here's part of what he said. That we highly resolve that those dead shall not have died in vain. Tens of thousands of people. That this nation, again, he's talking, and that's part of the president's job to talk about our national conscience. This nation, under God shall have a new birth of freedom or liberty, right? So Lincoln said that in the, in the 1860s. Fast forward, fast forward another 90 years, and we get to the 1950s. And I didn't know this. In the 1950s, under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. How many people knew that? Some of you knew that. I didn't know that. So it didn't say that before that. I have to go back and look at some book before the 1950s and how the pledge was. I guess you just that little phrase was left out. I don't know. But in the 1950s, uh, that was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And then in 1956, the 84th Congress declared our national motto. Who knows what the nation's motto is? Yeah, I think I heard somebody heard it. 1956. Not... You know, 1776 or 1860s, but in 1956, a national motto declared by an act of Congress is, in God we trust. Now, it's interesting. Why did they do that in the 50s? Both of those things. And historically speaking, probably one of the big motivations for that was communism. Communism is atheist, Right? And that was a big threat in the 50s. You know, communism is going to take over the United States. So we could add it to our Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to declare our national motto in God we trust. Of course, it's been on the coin since the 1860s. So we have this motto. And and companies have a motto. For example, you can do it. What's the rest of that? We can help. That's Home Depot. If you go in there... And say, I can do it. And they will say, we can help. All right, so our national motto is, in God, we trust. Now, I don't know how many people know it, but that's what it is. 
So consequently, since the 50s, what's happened? Accountability to God and even God talk has fallen out of favor, right? That's kind of a no-no. That's an ought not in our society now. It was the ought in the 50s, but in my lifetime, not all your lifetimes, but in my lifetime, it's gone from an ought to an ought not. We're having an inauguration of a new president in January. Not too many good choices from my perspective, but anyway, we'll have a new president. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but every inauguration, the government is sued because the president says, so help me God. Did you know that? Every year, every four years, I guess, (laughs) some people sue the government because the president says that. Now, I'm like, I don't have time to talk about separation of church and state, only to say this. It didn't mean separation of church and God. I mean, state and God. It was church. We were supposed to have a national church, like England had an Anglican church. We, we don't have that. We have all kinds of churches, but no state church. That's what it meant. But anyway, so much for that. <clears throat> so what happens is, and this is nothing new. It goes back 3,000 years. We can read it in the Bible. Uh, last verse of the book of Judges. <laughs> it's fascinating to me. This is how the, the, the whole book of Judges ends. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So it wasn't a national conscience. Everybody just did what they wanted to do. Kind of scary when you think about it. But when you don't have a national conscience, it has to be replaced with or by something. So what do we replace it with? Well, laws will continue to replace our conscience. And again, that's why our legal system is so complicated. I got to thinking about this. The golden rule, do unto others you have them do unto you. If we just live by that, it would solve 90%, 95% of issues, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to have all these laws, but we can't base it on God anymore. So two lines... Well, I shouldn't say have been forming. They've always existed. They're just uh, more evident, I think, in our culture in the last 50 years. So here's the two lines. It's, it's grateful and accountable, or it's versus ungrateful and unaccountable. So, you know, if you don't have a creator God that you're accountable to, then you're unaccountable, and you don't have to be grateful. A simpler way to say it, an easier way to remember it is this way. In God we trust versus in we we trust. Now, I don't know if this bothers you as much as it does me, but uh, some politicians, we find out in their secret lives, they're doing all kinds of unspeakable things. And my question is, how can they do that? And the answer goes back to they don't feel accountable, obviously, right? Well, they wouldn't do those things. So, if you're not in God we trust, what is your basis, again, for life, pursuit, of, uh, the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Because in the Constitution, it says the basis is the Creator God. If you remove the Creator God, what is the basis for the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I mean, if you can look at other nations... There is no basis, is there, other than whatever laws they might pass. And because that's been the basis for 200 plus years in our country, that's why we 
have laws to protect minorities and laws to protect special needs people and laws to protect kids and laws to protect women. But when you don't have that, what are you going to replace it with? What's going to be the basis of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Just getting started. I'm going to finish this up next week. I'm glad you were here. Hopefully you can, you can be with us again next week. Let's pray. Uh, God, this is a, a kind of a difficult topic. Um, it, it involves us all. We all live in this nation. And uh, we're all big on opinions. Uh, probably don't have many answers. The answers are the tough part. But it's amazing to see the, the, the shift in our national conscience just over the last 50 years. And God, I don't know where it's going. It, doesn't, it seems a little scary. It doesn't seem very pleasant. Uh, not that, you know, we don't believe, God, you're, you're, you're all powerful and you're in control and that, that you can work good from this. And we all have our part to play. We, we need to vote. We need to speak our, uh, share our opinions. But um, it, it's disturbing. It's uh, even heart-wrenching. Uh, and God, we pray for, I, I, I hope we're praying for our nation and praying for our leaders uh, but we don't like a lot, and we don't believe you probably like a lot what's going on. And God, if people sit in my place, we, we have, have an obligation to speak about these things, even though um, we have little influence, <laughs> obviously. So God, we pray for uh, wisdom to know the oughts and ought nots, and courage to, to do them, to follow them, to obey. And we thank you that those, most of us in this room have your written law, your word, which is overshadowed by your grace and mercy and forgiveness. And God, we want to pray for anyone here this morning that may not be a Jesus follower. Today might be the day they would step across that line. Maybe the concept of understanding that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness comes from the basis of a creator God. We thank you that we live in this great nation. Uh, we not love, we, most of us anyway would never want to live anywhere else. And there aren't Christian nations. There are only Christian people. God, we thank you for our foundation of our nation. We pray that somehow, some way, that could become part of our national conscience again. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.